I want you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13. Um, I'll get there directly. Take me a few minutes, but I will get there eventually. Matthew 13. The message is called Spiritual Warfare in the Last Days. We live in troubled times. Last night when I was preaching, I, I just offhandedly made the comment that the pandemic, which started in March of 2020, it's only two and a half years ago, it seems like that was 10 or 15 years ago. So much has happened, so much we didn't expect, so much we didn't anticipate. We live in troubled times, the COVID-19, the pandemic, political turmoil, cities on fire, unrest everywhere, huge demonstrations in Europe, a contentious national election, now financial worries. We didn't know about the supply chain, but we know about it now. Supply shortages, inflation, rising prices, and on a more personal level, uh, Christians confused, people outside the church angry and upset, Churches, many places struggling. Pastors exhausted. I hear that from pastors across the country. And uh, sin celebrated. Sin celebrated and not condemned. We need some good news. I, uh, I promised everybody last night. Because I was on. Uh, I, last night's message could have been a downer to some people. I promised that I had some good news. Well, here it is. I want to give you some good news in my final message. Now, to set the scene, some of you may know that I am the co-host of a national radio program on American Family Radio called Today's Issues. It's a Christian network. I know we have one of our stations that comes up here into the Quad Cities. And twice a week on Tuesday and Thursday, I'm co-host of this live national program. We try to bring a biblical perspective to the issues of the day. Well, not long ago, we were in the first segment of the program. It runs from 10 o'clock in the morning to 11.30. So first segment, about 10 to 10.20, something like that. And we were in the first segment of the program when Tim Wildman, who is the host of the program and also the president of the American Family Association, just out of the blue, as Tim likes to do, he just blurted out, we were talking about something, and he said, can you give us some good news? I think we had been talking about the debt ceiling, which is hard to explain on the radio, or maybe it's rising inflation, which disturbs us all, or possibly something about politics, which aggravates everybody nowadays. Whatever we were talking about was depressing, and that's why Tim broke in and said, how about some good news? And I said it happened again, because Tim has asked for some good news more than once, in fact, several times recently. I can't say that I blame him. Over the years on today's issues, we have covered hundreds, and I mean hundreds of stories. By necessity, a lot of what we report, maybe 85% of what we report is basically bad news. That's not surprising because we are biblical realists. We believe what the Bible says. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So yes, there has been a lot of bad news. But this morning, Thank you for coming. I want to give you some good news, possibly the best news you've heard in a long time. For some time, I have thought, maybe for about the last year and a half now, I have thought that God was using 
the pandemic and everything associated with the pandemic to prepare his church for what is to come. But what is to come? We know that history is his story. And like, and as we like to sing, he's got the whole world in his hand. So here's the question. What should we expect? If we could write tomorrow's headlines today, what would they say? So then let me introduce my topic, spiritual warfare in the last days. Those of us who are conservative Christians, and I mean Edgewood folks, conservative, Bible-believing, evangelical Christians, those of us in our, in our camp, conservative Christians, are sometimes accused of being too pessimistic. And I understand why people say that, because we are not fooled about human nature. We understand what's going on in the world around us. But there is more to the story. We like to say Jesus wins in the end, and that's true. He does. But what does that truth mean for our present crisis? For many years, I have read about great revivals in the past, great revivals in the past, emphasis on the last three words in the past. We read stories of Jonathan Edwards. We read about the revival in the New Hebrides. We read about the Welsh revival of 1904 and 1905, which started really among the the coal miners there in Wales. And from that unlikely beginning, it spread literally within a year around the world. We read about these things and we wonder, could that happen in our day? Or, or are we too far gone for us to believe God to do in our day what he did in other days? Could there be another Welsh revival in our day? Could there be a third great awakening? Could there be another layman's prayer movement? Could we see whole nations shaken by the preaching of the gospel? Could we see, could we see an awakening of God that would that would spread across India and Sri Lanka and Bangladesh? Could we see the Lord Jesus break through in mighty saving power in the country of Iran? Could we see what many of us have been praying for, a breakthrough across the Muslim nations of the Middle East and North Africa? Could that happen in our day? Instinctively, we know, don't we? The answer is yes. Of course those things are possible in our day. God is not limited by the moral decay around us, nor is he limited by our unbelief, our doubt, our skepticism, or even by our discouragement. So my message then focuses, and I want to focus this very narrowly this morning. My message is not about revival in general. I want to focus it very narrowly. If these truly are the last days, and I believe they are, if everything I said last night is true, and I stand by everything I said in last night's message, if all of that is true about the coming rise of the Antichrist, if we are living in those days before the coming of the Lord, could these things, these amazing great things still happen? I'm going to tell you right now, the answer is yes. The Bible not only says the answer is yes, the Bible teaches us to expect it. Now then, we have come to Matthew 13. Matthew 13, the parables of the kingdom. All the parables in Matthew 13 are worthy of our study, but I'm going to focus uh, this morning just on one. The parable, the famous parable, in verse, begins in verse 24, of the wheat and the tares. 
Matthew 13, verse 24, Jesus now is speaking, parable of the wheat and tares. Listen carefully. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night, as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat and then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted the good seed, it's full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked. No, he replied. You'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let them grow together. Let them grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles, and burn them, and put the wheat in the barn. Now, when Jesus interprets this parable, he tells his men, the field is the world. The Lord is the sower. The enemy is the devil. The good seed represents believers, and the weeds are unbelievers. And the harvest is at the end of the age. Now, we can summarize this parable, the message of it, this way. In this age, the saved and lost live side by side, next door to each other. In Rock Island, Moline, East Moline, Bettendorf, Davenport, and all the other cities and towns around the Quad Cities. It's the same way everywhere. Saved and lost. Go up and down the streets of Rock Island, Bettendorf, anywhere in the Quad Cities. Go up and down the streets. You'll see saved and lost living side by side. In fact, it's really hard to tell just by driving up and down the street who's who and what's what. Why? Because we shop at the same stores. We eat at the same restaurants. We work at the same offices. And we often cheer for the same football teams. I'm simply saying in this age, you can't always tell the wheat from the weeds. The Lord knows often we don't. In fact, usually, to be honest, we don't. But when the harvest comes, because that's really the end of the parable. That's the point of it. When the harvest comes, everything will be made clear. Said another way, in, in our world today, in 2022, there's a whole lot of people who are sitting on the fence, and you really can't tell who they are, where they are, what team they're playing for. In the last day, nobody will be sitting on the fence. No middle ground. You're going to be part of the wheat. You're going to be part of the weeds. That's the story Jesus told. What then does it mean for our topic today? Now watch this. Here is the key to my whole sermon right here. I'm telling you that so you'll know it. It's arrived right now. Here's the key to my whole sermon. See, I want you to know. In the last days, Jesus is clearly clearly teaching us in the last days there will be parallel harvests coming in side by side simultaneously at the same time in the last days. A harvest of evil and a harvest of good. Oh, what an interesting insight that is. And that's what the parable clearly is teaching us. What then will the world be like in the last days? This whole conference has been built around the conviction we are in the last days. What should we expect as we move forward? Let's, and to answer that, let's follow two lines of biblical evidence. Number one, it will be the worst of times. 2 Timothy 3.1, but mark this. Paul says to Timothy, pay attention, young man. 
pay attention to this. There will be terrible times in the last days. The key word is terrible. Other translations, King James says perilous, but you could translate this as dangerous in the last days. Danger. You could translate this violent. In the last days, violent times will come. The Greek word that is translated terrible or dangerous or violent or perilous, it's used only one other place in the New Testament. Used here, 2 Timothy, but used also in Matthew chapter 8. Matthew 8, 28, to refer to the two violent men who were possessed by demons in the region of Gadara. Remember the story? They were wild, uncontrollable men, violent men who lived among the tombs. All right. The last days then will be fierce, violent, dangerous, and frightening. Here's another way you could say it. In the last days, savage times will come as men cast off all moral restraint and society begins to disintegrate. Where does that leave us? Let me give you the words of Professor Robert George of Princeton University. He's a Christian and a keen observer of this current moment. He said, quote, The days of socially acceptable Christianity in the West are surely over. The days of comfortable Christian orthodoxy are past. I'm 100% convinced he's correct. You know the name Mike Huckabee. Mike Huckabee recently said this, quote, Christian convictions are under attack as never before, not just in our lifetime, but ever before in the history of this great nation. We are rapidly moving toward the criminalization of Christianity. It's not just evangelicals who are sounding the warning. For a number of years, Cardinal Francis George served in the uh, served in the city of Chicago and surrounding regions. Marlene and I, in fact, got to meet him a number of years ago. He died some years ago, but before his death, Colonel Francis George said this, quote, I expect to die in bed. My successor will die in prison, and his successor will die a martyr in the public square. The moral revolution that we are in is proceeding at warp speed. I don't think all of us probably feel the same way this morning. The shock, the shock about America today is not where we are going, but how fast we are getting there. The speed of moral and cultural change and not evolution, but devolution as our society goes down, 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 down. Now we can argue about whether we ever were the moral majority in this country. If we were, we certainly aren't now. And the latest numbers just in a few days ago bear out that point. Christianity as a percentage, interest in religion as a percentage, church going as a percentage is going down, down, down. Christians now are part of a vanishing moral minority in America. And I pause here to say this. You are certainly fair to ask me, Pastor Ray, where is that good news you said you were going to tell us? You said it last night and you said it at the beginning of the message. What are we doing here? Hang on just a little bit longer. Hang on. I don't know if you know the name Al Mohler. He's the distinguished president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville. Among all of our evangelical leaders, he's probably, he's probably best known of all of our evangelical thought leaders. He's a great writer. Well, this is what Al Mohler says. He said, we are seeing before our eyes three stages 
in a moral revolution. This is where we are, friends. Number one, what was condemned is now celebrated. Number two, what was celebrated is now condemned. And number three, this is us. Those refusing to celebrate are condemned. Three decades ago, maybe maybe uh, 1989, 1990, there was a man by the name of Carl Henry who in his day was the leading evangelical theologian, a, a giant of a man in terms of his, of his stature as a writer and thinker. In his last book called, I believe, Twilight of a Great Civilization, in that book, Carl Henry predicted, he made a Say, late 1980s, early 1990s, he made a prediction about what the 21st century would be. And this is what he said. He said that as America progressively loses its Judeo-Christian heritage, which is clearly happening, paganism, he said, would grow bolder. And he predicted that what we saw in the last half, or he said, what we saw in the last half of the 20th century was a kind of benign Humanism, humanism with a friendly face. But Carl Henry predicted that by the start of the 21st century, we would face a situation not unlike the situation of the first century Christians when they confronted raw paganism in the Roman Empire. That is to say, humanism with the pretty face ripped off, revealing the angry monster underneath. His words have surely come true. So Paul now is warning Timothy, after I'm gone, things, Timothy, young man, things are going to get worse before they get better. So Timothy, better, better buckle up. Terrible times are coming. That's why Paul said to his young protege, mark this or understand this or pay attention to this. Don't be naive and think everything's going to be okay. Everything is not going to be okay, but forewarned is forearmed. If we know what is going to happen, we won't be surprised when it does. So the first five verses of 2 Timothy 3 offer a sobering catalog of corruption. This is what happens when a nation, when a society, when a city, when a culture turns its back on God. First, there's total rejection of God. People are unholy, ungrateful, lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Second, This leads to total moral collapse. People become lovers of money, conceited, without love toward others, boastful, proud, unforgiving, not lovers of what is good. And third, the end result, the inevitable result, is the total breakdown of society. People are treacherous, rash, slanderous, brutal, disobedient to parents, abusive, and without self-control. You know what? That last phrase, what that really means That is, society spirals down, 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 down. That last phrase, without self-control, it means in the end anything goes. No rules, no moral absolutes, no restraints of any kind. Every man does that which is right in his own eyes. And woe to the person who dares to question anyone else's lifestyle choices. We can summarize this line of biblical evidence by saying that the entire age, that is, all the way from the first coming of Christ to the second coming of Christ, that the whole age will be characterized by unbelief, religious apostasy, and uh, complete rejection of God as men continually reject the truth and follow their own desires. And it does seem to me that what has happened in our day here in the 21st century 
I commented earlier on the speed of change. I often think about all of humanity as if we're on a bus. We're on a bus and somebody up front is driving the bus. We're just trusting him to get us safely. And there's a bridge, but the, their sign says, bridge out, bridge out, stop. Turn around, turn around. Either the driver can't see it or he doesn't care or he just doesn't believe it. And it's if, as we come closer and closer to the chasm, it's as if somebody has pushed, put their foot on the gas pedal and pushed it all the way to the floor. We are just going over the edge into the abyss of total destruction. There is a sense in which what I have just said is true of everything that's happened in the last 2,000 years, but there have been here and there some periods of extreme spiritual darkness. Now, here's where we are today, 21st century. Remember what Jesus said. He said, um, you'll hear about false Christ. You'll hear about wars and rumors of wars, nation rising against nation, armies marching and people fighting. You're going to hear about earthquakes. You're going to hear about hurricanes. You're going to hear about tornadoes. You're going to hear about pestilence. And you're going to, the, the love of many shall wax cold. You read Matthew 24. All those things are going to happen in the last days. But Jesus said, you're going to hear about this. All these things he said are what? The beginning of sorrows. That's the King James. Actually, it, it, it means birth pangs, like a woman in labor about to deliver a child. In other words, they're going to increase in frequency and intensity as we come closer and closer to the day when Jesus actually returns to the earth. So what has been happening is going to increase in intensity and in frequency as we, it's exactly what's happening around us as we approach the return of Jesus Christ. That is not, however, thank God, the end of the story. There is another line of evidence to consider. Remember, I'm only asking one question this morning. What should we expect in the last days? I have labored to tell you it will be the worst of times. Here is number two, though. It will also be the best of times. The best of times. For this, we go to Acts chapter 2, which records Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. Now, I'm going to put three little, three little signposts here for you. I'm standing here in 700 B.C., 700 B.C., there was a prophet by the name of Joel. He prophesied about events in his day, but looking forward to the coming day of the Lord. Joel, there's only a couple of chapters. It's tucked away there in the Minor Prophets. Great little book. And in, and in Joel chapter 2, Joel the prophet looks ahead to a day when the Holy Spirit will be poured out on all of humanity. Okay, watch this. This is 700 B.C. when Joel gives his prophecy. Now I'm going to stand right here. This is A.D. 33 when Jesus was crucified, died, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven. Just a few days later, Peter stood up and preached in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. When he preached, guess what his text was? Joel chapter 2. From 700 B.C. to 33 A.D., and I'm going to stand over here. We're just going to call this 2022, right here, September 2022, right where we are. From the prophecy of Joel to Peter's sermon to where we are today. So Acts chapter 2. This is what Peter says, beginning in verse 16. He quotes him. This is what was uttered, Peter says, through the prophet Joel. Here's the quote. And in the last days... It shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit 
on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. How about that? We've heard about those blood moons. The moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. In verse 21, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the Lord shall be saved. What does that mean? I want to suggest five things to you. Number one, we are living now in the age of the Holy Spirit. From the day of Pentecost until now, this has been the day when God promised to pour out His Spirit. That's number one. Number two, God always intended to pour out His Holy Spirit on a wide swath of humanity, on men and on women, on the young, on the old, the rich, and the poor, and this nation, and that nation, and this culture, and that race, and that group. God said to everybody, everywhere, He intends to pour out His Spirit on a wide swath of humanity. And number three, This is going to come to a climax in the final days of human history. What I'm saying, this has been true the last 2,000 years, but it's the same way. It's going to increase in frequency and intensity as we headlong rush toward the coming of Christ. It's going to increase, come to a climax in the final days of human history. And here is number four. There will be amazing signs. Watch in the heavens and on the earth surrounding the day of the Lord. And finally, there is going to be, I believe, a vast, great movement of evangelism in the last days. God intends to pour out His Spirit on all parts of humanity in the last days leading up to the return of Christ. And we are going to do evangelism around the world And multitudes of people are going to be saved. Now, you say to me, Pastor Ray, can you find this anywhere else in the New Testament? Anywhere else? Well, yes, I thank you for asking me that. And the answer is Revelation chapter 7. Revelation 7. Remember in Revelation 7, John the Apostle, he saw two visions. And if you would, let's go to the next slide right now. Yeah, I want you to see this one. Uh, If you look at this, you're only seeing the top half of a picture. This is from a huge baptism ceremony. They're down at the river. This is African Christians at a baptismal ceremony down by the river. Okay, just take a look at that. Revelation chapter 7. John first saw 144,000 Jews, 12,000 from each tribe who've been sealed by God, protected from the Antichrist and his attacks. And they're going to be believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. When Michael Rydelnik was here, he he called them 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams. Can you imagine in that day, 144,000 converted and saved and sealed Jews who are believers in Jesus in the midst of all the horror and destruction of, of the tribulation. They're going to go from place to place. They're going to preach the gospel. And then you get to the second vision, the second half of uh, John 7. First, John sees the Jews who were sealed. Then suddenly the scene shifts. What he sees is a vast multitude, which we are told no one could number. He saw them 
from every tribe and every tongue and every kindred and every nation. He saw a vast assemblage of saved people. And he points out they are there from everywhere, from Turkey and from Kazakhstan and from Bangladesh and from Pakistan and from Chad and from Niger and from Brazil and from Venezuela and from Papua New Guinea and from New Zealand and from Belarus and from Finland and from Portugal and from Andorra and France and and. Italy and Spain and Macedonia and Azerbaijan and Kyrgyzstan. He saw them from Russia, from Ukraine, from Moldova, from the U.S., from from the Indian territories, from across Canada, from across South America and from the islands of the Pacific and the Atlantic. He saw a vast crowd standing before the throne. Every tribe, every nation, every people, every tongue. And as John is studying this vast assemblage of saved people... They're, they're, they're clothed in white, they're, 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 which means they've been redeemed. And palm fronds, the symbol of victory, and they're crying out, salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. And as John studies that amazing scene of redeemed people before the throne, he doesn't ask the question. An angel asks him the question, who are they? And John goes, I don't know, but you know. Why don't you tell me? And the angel says, these are are they who have come out of the great tribulation. And in the Greek, that definite article is there. Not just these who have come out of some general time of suffering, which could be said of any generation. These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. That is to say, last night, Last night I emphasized that most of the world is going to follow the Antichrist. They're going to take the mark on the hand or on the forehead, and they're going to follow him to their everlasting doom and disaster. And I said last night, some brave people, Christians, are going to say, no, we will not take the mark, and they will be hunted down like wild animals, and they will be put to death. And guess what? Now this morning we find out that that some is really an uncountable multitude that in in the midst of the terror, in the midst of the sadness, in the midst of the rampages of the Antichrist and the false prophet, God is, God is redeeming His people from every tongue and every tribe and every nation on the earth. He is going to have His people in heaven. Who are they? These are they who come out of the great tribulation. They have come out of, they've come to Christ during the final convulsion of evil led by the Antichrist. Most of them, if not all of them, will be martyred because they would not accept the mark of the beast. All of this, I think, is implied by the parable of the wheat and the tares. Now, let me just ask. What should all of this, everything I've said so far, what should it say to us about the last days? Okay, back to what I told you was my main point, that they're going to be in the last days. Parallel harvest coming in at the same time. A harvest of evil and a harvest of good. They're going to come in together at the same time. So we know what that means. Evil is going to be more outrageous than ever before. Check, we're there. And good's going to be easier to spot. Yep, right there. Evildoers will become more brazen every day. And there'll be a corresponding harvest of righteousness in the last days. That's where we are. If you want my whole message in one sentence, here it is. In the last days, the Lord's work will prosper amid shocking moral decline, which means this, the greatest 
revivals in history are yet to come. You got it? The greatest movements of God in all of history. First awakening, fantastic. Second awakening, fantastic. Welsh revival, fantastic. What God has been doing in small ways here and there across the globe. He's going to do in a big way in the last days of human history. The greatest revivals and the greatest awakening, they're not behind us. They are yet in front of us. Why is that true? Because the darker the night, the brighter the light shines. It is sometimes said, those of us who believe in the return of Christ are too pessimistic about the future. I don't feel pessimistic at all. Look, if we are indeed living in the last days before the return of Christ, and I do believe we are, we ought to expect things. Watch this. We ought to expect things to get better and worse at the same time. We should believe God for amazing answers to prayer, culture-shaking moves of the Holy Spirit, and unprecedented open doors for evangelism. We ought to pray for the gospel to spread like wildfire across India and China. We should expect a mighty turning to God among the Muslim nations. And if there's going to be a final harvest of righteousness, then we should expect to see hundreds of millions of people coming to Christ in the years to come. And at the same time, the devil's going to do all he can to ignite an explosion of evil around the world because he knows his time is short. So here at the end now, what difference does all of this make? Well, I have a friend who is not given to speculative comments. That's really my department. I speculate. My friend is not given to that. My friend is not the sort to say the world is ending soon. Yet several times this person has said to me, I believe the world is ending soon. Is it? Perhaps it is. Well, I'll know the answer soon enough. If the world ends tomorrow, then my friend was right. And I do think this might indeed be the beginning of the end, so to speak. Suppose that Jesus is coming soon. How then should we live? Let me give you five suggestions, and I'm done. Number one, be alert. Be alert. The last days will be a day of confusion and spiritual delusion. Jesus told us about this. Don't be sucked in by the spirit of the Antichrist that is already in the world. That spirit tries to make us think that sin isn't really sinful, and there's no such thing as right and wrong. It also seduces us into silence when we ought to be speaking out. Ponder, please, the words of 1 Peter 5 8. Be sober, be vigilant, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Don't let that someone be you. The devil is hungry and you're on the menu. A great deception will come to the earth in the last days. Many will be deceived. In fact, that's one of the clearest things that Jesus said. Many will be deceived in the last days. Don't say to yourself that it never happened to me. Don't be so sure. Many will be deceived who today would laugh at that suggestion. So number two, don't be, don't be naive. Don't be naive. Now is the time for God's people to be, to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Don't be naive about the true nature of sin in the world. Bad things happen because evil people cause them to happen. They hijack planes and fly them into skyscrapers. They strap bombs on young people who blow themselves up on a crowded bus. They loot and kill and destroy and defraud and break the laws of God and man. Then they go on TV and laugh about it. If we are indeed living near 
the coming of Christ, we better brace ourselves for further outbreaks of hideous evil. The worst is yet to come. Number three, be bold. Believe God for great things in the last days. Let me say it to you this way. Pray big prayers. Pray big prayers. Ask God to bring in the last day's harvest. This is no time for compromise. In the last day, you cannot sit on the fence. You can't. you got to fall off this way or that way. In the last day, we're going to finally know for sure who's on Team Jesus and who isn't. Why don't you fall off the fence today and say, I am going to take my stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. In times like these, Christians need to be bold and open and honest and vocal about their faith. What I'm telling you to do is raise the flag of Jesus up above your head and then take your stand under that flag so that everybody near and far knows you are a Christian. Open your mouth. Say a good word for Jesus. Speak up for the Savior. Let your voice be heard so loudly that no one can doubt whose side you are on. Number four, march in tight formation. This is no time for believers to wander off on their own. Stay tight with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Stay tight with your local church. Stay tight with your Sunday school class, with your small group. Stay tight with your Christian friends at work and at school. Stay tight so you can't be easily picked off by the enemy. Listen, when we march together in very tight formation, we are a formidable force, but when we, when we wander off and try to go it alone, we become easy targets for Satan's attacks. Fifth and finally, live Without fear. Live without fear. Now, if you heard my sermon last night and you had nightmares, I am sorry. But what I said is true. We still live without fear. Jesus said, see that you are not afraid. Christians ought to be what? The calmest people on earth because we know the Lord and he holds the future in his hands. If you read about perilous times to come, if you hear my sermon from last night and it just scares you to death and and you give in to fear, you have missed the great point that Jesus wins in the end. The church has always done its best work in bad days and hard times. When the skies are the darkest, it's then that the glory of the gospel shines the brightest. So let me just stand over here because I want you to see this. Here was the real application of my message. What should we expect? Here it is. You ready? Easy days are over. Great days are ahead. Easy days are over. Great days are ahead. Therefore, here is my advice to you. Let's go to the next slide. No fear, no doubt, no hesitation. Say that with me. No fear, no doubt, no hesitation. One more time. No fear, no doubt, no hesitation. My friends, I know that there's bad stuff happening all around us, but we ought to remain optimistic because God's heart is big. God will not 
be defeated. There will be no empty thrones in heaven. As we look at the cultural decline all around us, and it's everywhere, it's easy to conclude the bad guys are winning. They aren't. God keeps scoring his own way. And even when it looks like he's losing, he's not. He only appears to be trailing. Remember, the score doesn't really matter till the end of the game. And in the end, God wins, and he wins big. There'll be more people in heaven than we have dreamed possible because our God is bigger than our limited imagination. Charles Dickens began his epic novel, A Tale of Two Cities, with these words, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. That stands as a good description of what is ahead as we approach the end of this age. Let me tell you, Satan is going to unleash his whole arsenal because his time is short and he knows it. So don't be surprised at anything that happens, and don't be surprised when hard times come. But this age is always also going to end with an unprecedented spiritual harvest around the world. And I don't know what you think about this, but I cannot imagine a better time to be alive. I can't imagine a better time to be a Christian. I can't imagine a better time to share Christ. Get ready. The harvest is about to come in. Do not say four months and then comes the harvest. Open your eyes. Look around. The fields are white and ready for harvest all over the world. These are great days, the greatest days in all human history to be alive. Think of it. We may be the generation privileged to see the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to leave you with one other quote here. This is by Dr. John F. Walvert, longtime president of Dallas Theological Seminary. I knew Dr. Walvert, studied under him. This is what Dr. Walvert said. He's now in heaven. Words more true than when he spoke them. If there ever was an hour when men should consider their personal relationship to Jesus Christ, it is today. God is saying to this generation, prepare for the coming of the Lord. If that is true, there's never been a better time to be a Christian. If that is true, there's never been a better time to tell someone else. If that is true, there's never been a better time to raise a Christian family. So, I have run out of time. My sermon is almost done. Let us then leave the last word to dear old Martin Luther. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. There it is. There it is. There's the good news for today. The devil is hard at work, but he is going down. And Jesus is coming back. He's 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 coming back. Jesus is coming back. And it won't be long now. Brothers and sisters, we are fighting a battle. We cannot lose. The Lord is looking for some soldiers who will serve 
in his army. Will you answer the call? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that your heart encompasses the whole world. Thank you for making a way through your son for anyone to be saved anywhere, anytime. Grant, Father, that we might not despair, not even a little bit, because of the darkness of this hour. Help us to shine the light of Jesus everywhere we go. We pray for a giant harvest of souls in these last days. And meanwhile, we say with the saints of all the ages, even so. Come, Lord Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless. Thank you.